Q&A. You're listening to LGBTQ&A. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and today I'm speaking with Andrew Gerza, who, among other things, is a disability rights activist. These last few weeks have been a sort of unofficial LGBTQ sex ed series on the podcast, and we are capping that off this week with Andrew, who really seeks to shine a light and clarify all the misinformation around the sex with those with disabilities. So we discuss that as well as ableism in and out of the community, and how it's literally everywhere, even in things I say on the podcast, as you'll hear. And then to everyone who's been leaving comments on iTunes, a big, big, big thank you for that. It is so appreciated and helpful. If you have not yet, the time is now. Ranking us five stars and leaving a comment is one of the biggest ways you can help our show to continue to grow. And then don't forget to check out our old home on AfterBuzz TV for all of your after show needs. They are the number one TV after show destination on the internet. All right, without further ado, here's Andrew. So you have a new tattoo that says queer cripple. We talk a lot about labels on the podcast. Can you talk about choosing to self-identify as a cripple? Um, I love that terminology so much because it's, it is a really, really derogatory word from hundreds and hundreds of years ago that actually longer than that when I think about it. And it means, you know, invalid and bad and... And like lesser than, and so I I like playing with that. For me, the whole word cripple means like I'm taking it back. I'm reclaiming that label for myself, and it's an important identity piece for me. And also, I mean, it plays on the fact that there's shock value to it. I know people are going to see the word and be like, that's not appropriate. Why is he, what's, I don't know how to feel about that. And that's the whole point. I want to... Um, make somebody uncomfortable about how they feel about disability in the body because we don't think about disability generally. And so when you see that on my chest as we're making out, then you'll have to feel about it. You'll have feelings about it. And I guess that we're talking via, this is an audio format, but for everybody who can't see, you're in a wheelchair. But I have to assume that for a lot of people, you acknowledging the obvious that you are in a wheelchair is can like get that out of their system, right? Because people can focus on that. But actually, sometimes it works the other way. If I acknowledge that I'm in a wheelchair too much, people will go, oh, don't you know, don't say that. You're just, I don't see the chair, I see you. And I'm always like, well, but really, though? Because you should really see my chair because I'm in it right now. So what? Like, they don't, there's, the people forget that it's a, it's your wheelchair or your mobility device or however you choose to get around the world is part of your identity, especially when you're disabled and it's not a, it's not necessarily a bad or good part of your identity it just is a part of your identity that you have to contend with and like good or bad it is true right yeah it's true <laughs> it's true i'm a wheelchair user it's true is it ever uh, i don't know if this is appropriate tell me, tell me if this is an ableist question to ask but for you your disability is obvious that you are in this chair but i keep meeting people who to the outside eye, their disability is not obvious. And then they will make a comment like, I'm a disabled person. Is it ever appropriate to ask about that? If they've identified as a disabled person, you can ask and say things like, okay, I noticed you I, you self-identified as, as having a disability, and possibly what you're seeing when, when you see somebody on the world who's not a wheelchair user with a disability and they say, I'm disabled, they may have an invisible disability that you can't see. So yeah, they could very well be disabled. And it, it's appropriate to ask, but it's also appropriate to expect 
the disabled person to say, you know what, I don't want to talk about this right now. I don't want to really engage with this with you. Thanks so much. Thank you for asking. I appreciate that, but I'm not going to engage right now because in my line of work as a queer cripple, I have given myself the opportunity to educate where I want to. I, I don't have the obligation. There's no, I have no obligation to educate. Neither does any disabled person. They don't have to ever say like, oh yeah, I'm going to be your teachable moment today. That's not what we are. So, but, but if I wanted to, for instance, if we're at a bar and I see somebody that I really like and they're kind of into me and I'm going to into them and we want to have a discussion and we're on Scruff or Grinder or one of those apps and I want to get down with the person and I'm like, all right, well, if I, in order for me to suck your dick, I'm going to have to explain this to you. Sure. All right. I'll do it because I want to, what do I, what do I, what do, what do I gain from doing that? But if it's just to teach you because you want to feel good about yourself for the day, then I try to do it in a way where I take a deep breath and I try to look at the person who's asking and why they're asking and figure out where the, where, what their angle is and, and how it will help them. But if it's just, if I'm just trying to have my day and I'm having a coffee and hanging out with friends, I'm not going to be like, yeah, so my disability is this, blah, blah, blah. But I think you're allowed to ask. You can't expect them to be like, sure, yeah, great. No problem all the time because that's just not what's going to happen. That sounds exhausting for you also. It, I mean, it can be. Again, if the person is somebody that I want to engage with and, and genuinely wants to know, and if I think by telling them that I'll change their worldview on disability, then I'm happy to do it. And also, if you know, you're know you paying me to give a lecture to do it, then sure, I'll do it. But if I'm just trying to live my day, I don't want to do it all the time. Yeah. Recently you tweeted, it said, it would be super awesome if there was a version of Queer Eye for disabled experts, teaching people how to make their apartments more accessible and their attitudes less ableist. I, that's funny, but I also feel like that's not actually a joke, right? No, it wasn't a joke because Queer, I'm, I'm not a fan of, I was never, I've never been a fan of Queer Eye. I know, I'll, I'll revoke my Queer card right now, but I <laughs> never really was a fan of the original and not super jazzed about the new one either but i've i've been seeing a lot of queer people say like, oh my god it's such a great show like i i've been crying after episode two and i'm like okay what's the big deal like so i watched the preview and i was like all right i get it but wouldn't it be way like wouldn't it be much more important if things they were doing for social change that aren't just like let's let's dress this straight guy up to make him look more fashionable for his wife. Great. I'm glad you're doing that but they, these people could be using their platform for such bigger things within our community, and not just our community, but like the community as a whole, but especially in the queer community, disability is often not talked about. Disability is not a thing that queer men know much about unless you're, you know, fucking somebody with a disability or you are somebody with a disability, you tend not to know much about it. So wouldn't it be great if like the queer eye people hired cough cough me, hi, to uh to you know, to be on a team like that to talk about accessibility in the clubs, to talk about accessibility in someone's home, to talk about like what makes your home sexy for you as a disabled person. I think there's a real missed opportunity here. We still don't, as far as I've seen, don't have any representations of disability yet. And it's twenty eighteen now and they should really have thought about that and they didn't so yeah yeah i mean it's not lost on me too that you know this is the first interview that we've done that's not in person and part of that reason is that you're in canada but the other part of it is that our studio is not actually wheelchair accessible at all yeah technology allows for these conversations around disability to really transcend like any kind of barriers and that's really cool 
Yeah. I mean, you mentioned gay bars, you mentioned apps. A lot of gay bars are not accessible to those with disabilities. How have you found a queer community in your life? Apps. Um, I I mean, I'm still, I'm 30, I'll be 34 in, in three months. Holy fuck. Uh, but, but um, you know, I, I, I'm still searching for queer community. I'm still very, even though I've been out for almost 20 years now, I'm still... I feel very young in the community. I still, I feel like I'm fighting to be seen all the time. So I don't feel like I've found community yet. I've found people to mess around with. I've, I've had a lot of, you know, sex with respect to my disability and I've done all that stuff. But in terms of community, I think I'm building it now and I'm, I'm in search of it now, which is part of why I do the work I do because I'm, even though I'm a professional, I'm doing my job. I'm also like, hey, does anyone want to hang out and like talk about this after I lecture you about it? Does anyone want to like be, you know, do things outside of my job? I feel sometimes as a as a sex educator and someone who does this work, it's really people people love to have you come and tell your story in front of an audience. But then I go home and I'm alone afterwards, being like, well, that was fun. Where's you know my crew that I can talk to about the thing that I, that I just went through? Where's somebody I can detox with, with the kind of ableism and all the stuff that I'm feeling after? Like, cause after you give a talk like that, primarily to, you know, non-disabled white cisgendered people talking about sex and disability, um, it's really draining cause you're the one sharing your story. And then you, you go back to your hotel room or your home and you're like, okay, so, uh, now I feel weird. Now I'm having all this these feelings about everything I just said. I have no support group to, to walk me through how to feel about it. Yeah, because when you say you feel like you're fighting to be seen within the community, I mean, do you also feel like you're fighting to be seen in society as a whole? Yeah, but I think I think in the queer community, especially queer male community, I'm fighting way much way more to be seen. I'm fighting to own my sexuality, and I'm fighting to be like, hey, you can suck my dick too. Like I'm here for all these things, and I'm not saying that to be you know, funny. I I am, but I'm not. But I'm saying it because like that's how we that's how our community gets to know each other. It's like let's have random sex with each other or let's have sex through a hookup app or let's do it this way or let's go to a bar and flirt. And so I'm constantly constantly flirting with people just to be like, Hey, see look, I did the thing. My sexuality's valid too. Yeah. I, I, I'm thinking about, too, that compared to when I think about the experience of those with disabilities. I think about forced intimacy, always being touched, having to be dressed. From the moment yep. you wake up in the morning, don't you need help getting into your wheelchair? Yeah. I need help to get up. I need, I need help to use the toilet. I need help to shower. I need help to, to do the ins and outs of my day. Um, right. Whereas compared for me, I could literally go an entire day without touching another human being. And it's like the weird, it's the dichotomy between you like craving like touch, but like sexual touch, but not actual like human touch, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I get touch all the time, but you learn as a disabled person to compartmentalize that touch. Okay, this is for your, this is to get up. The person's helping you. I mean, they're wearing a glove and they're wearing all these things that are quasi-medical. So it doesn't feel, it's not touch that you want. It's touch that you have to accept to get up. So you tacitly agree to it because if you, if you say no, you're not going to have your day. And then the things you need to feel good about yourself and happy don't happen. So you understand that that, that kind of touch is not, it's, what, it's touch you need. I refer to it as, it's been called forced intimacy. I, I refer to it as transactional touch. So it's very much like we're here to do a job. I'm here to, you know, touch your balls because they need to be washed. And this is what I'm here to do today. And then I'm going to go. 
me as the as the receiver of that understands this is what it is. Like there's no, there's no enjoyment in that for me. There's like okay, I see them as an extension of me in that moment. I get done what I need done and we're done. Like once they leave me, like right now in Canada it's winter, so I'm not going anywhere. I'm home hanging out. So you're wanting that connection with somebody, and so oftentimes you're left without because convincing somebody that you're sexually viable, and then once they agree to consider that, then you have to be like, hey, so do you want to come over and like help me do all the things? And are you comfortable with this? And are you comfortable with that? So just to get to that moment where you're touched properly can be, can take forever. Wow. You said convincing someone that you're sexually viable. That is, I wonder how common that is that people feel they have to do that. I think it's, I think honestly, I feel it's really common in communities of color and we don't talk about it enough and I think it's really common in communities with disabled people who who just want to be touched in a, in a way that isn't uh, a transaction and who want to feel like they have worth that's why I flirt with everybody all the time because it's not even necessarily because I want to it's like if I don't if I if I if I can prove to you that I am sexually viable maybe 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 you'll see me as a person yeah and I'm thinking about friends with body image issues who don't conform to like societal standards and they speak about sexual desire and attraction in the same way too that they're oh, trying yeah. to co- convince people that they're viable yeah and i mean that's that's just that part's exhausting so like and that's before you even get to like hey want to come over and hang out that's like that's like steps and steps before that yeah so by the, by the time somebody comes over you're like oh do i even want to anymore like what i don't even know how i feel about it but then you then you power through and and you suss it out as you go do you find that you have body image issues with yourself since you were not like even able to work out uh i can i can work out but not in the ways that not in the conventional ways that we do at the gym and not in the ways that like i don't i don't lift like you know 200 pound weights my workout when i can find somebody who's willing to do it with me is to swim and in one of my recent podcasts i you know made i made a did a whole episode about how working out at the gym is super ableist sometimes and how it's like how it's really geared towards rehab and fixing your body and when you're disabled and working out it shouldn't be about fixing your body or or diminishing your disability it should be about doing it for you so when i get the chance to get in the water and swim and just enjoy myself that for me is a workout or you know good sex and a makeup can also be a workout too <laughs> like the, there are things that can be considered a workout that isn't the gym and i feel like queer men in the gym look as much as i enjoy watching queer men take their gym selfies and i look I like the muscles too. I'm all for it. That's your thing, and that's what gets you like going. Great, but this preoccupation we have with the gay male body image is really—it's gonna ruin our the way we have community. Is me asking or me assuming that you can't work out? Is that an ableist thought? Yes, but it's it's not something you like. I think the I think the important thing to mention about ableism is that you didn't even realize you were doing it, and so that's how I knew the minute you asked me the question. It was, but I was like, I want yeah. I want him to ask because I think it's important, and I think that like the way we talk about disabilities, it's like shrouded in ableism because we don't talk about ableism enough. I mean, I I, I, I asked that follow up question because I, I I wanted to apologize. Well, thank you, thank you for that well i'm sorry thank you i don't think that we should spend our time like not our time but our time generally in the world constantly overly apologizing for being ableist like you do it once 
the person may or may not correct you and we move on or just le- just think about what it would be if you were in that situation and somebody said something super weird about your body or your thoughts like but and i i just think that ableism is so insidious we do it all the time i do it all the time and i'm disabled and i do it constantly <laughs> and i i have to remind myself when i'm talking with certain guests or talking about certain things and i have to be corrected because sometimes it comes out and i don't even i don't even realize it so there's a lot of ableism we don't even realize and i think that it's okay it's it's okay to recognize it it's a problem when you when we keep bringing it up and up and up and up and and not doing anything about it so the fact that you recognize it and and are gonna you know do better is fine but i think that i mean it might happen in the next two minutes and and that's just the way that our culture is misunderstands it but the fact that you know it's there i think is the first step yeah, so you're saying recognize it and move on. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, again, in two minutes, one of us may so, may say something ableist, and and that's okay. And as long as we recognize it, we can go from there. Totally. You've been a, a, an attendant. Is that the right word? Yes. So I, I asked that because there are pictures of you wearing a leather harness, which is a really sexy article of clothing. What yes. was that conversation like? Asking your attendant to help you put it on. I um I just said to my attendant I have to wear this for a work thing, like I this it's a, it's a work thing I have and they they understand that I work in sexuality and disability so I'll explain like this is a work thing I have to you know show my body off to show that I am a sexual being can we put this thing on and they'll say sure like they also understand when I'm hooking up with somebody like I'll call somebody in twenty minutes before the guy gets there and say like hey I need to do this I need to brush my teeth I need to you know wash my face I need to you know look presentable because I'm going to be with somebody right now. Can we, I'm very, very open about it because I think that to not talk with your caregivers about the stuff you're doing in your life makes it not real. And so if I, like, I'm not explicit with them, I don't be like, Hey, so I'm going to suck this guy's dick right now. But no, but I lay it out and that's what they're there for. And I asked because it's such a powerful image to see a man in a wheelchair with this harness on, which as you said, acknowledges I'm a sexual being because we have so few images like that. Yeah, there are there are so few images like that, which is part of why I why I did it because I was like I want to like and I I just think leather's sexy. I'm really into leather and I like that and I think if you can pull that off, great. Now again, I thought it was important because I don't have a six pack. I don't have I've re- I've referred to myself many times as a bear in a chair and I think you know, that's a little playful way of of poking fun at the disability and playing with my body image. Being able to be like, look, I'm worthy of sexual validation too. Here I am in a harness. Now come over and let's hang out. That's important to me. Was that a big moment for you the first time you put on a harness? It was. Just because I had never worn a harness before. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is this is not for me. I, I shouldn't. This is like a kink thing that I'm not into. Like, what is this? And then I did it and I was like, wow, I look kind of hot. This is all right. Okay. So, and, then, and then I realized when I went out there in the world that I, I wore it for a... a, a fashion show a couple years ago and I I was the first guy out and I went out and I did I did it and I was like wow I feel really empowered in this this is awesome so the more and more I do photo shoots I say hey can I bring my harness because it's a thing of comfort for me and that way if I want to ascribe to like the ridiculous mask for mask thing and attract a certain audience I can do that when I wear the harness yeah do you seek out porn with people with disabilities in it there's not enough of that um I don't seek it out because there isn't enough of it. Um, in terms of male-on-male porn, there's not a lot of it. And if it is, it's very fetishized. It's like, oh, you came back from the 
the war and you're now you lost a leg and now I'm gonna fight like it's weird so no I don't seek it out I much like a lot of other gay men am kind of stuck to the toxic like I want to look at the muscle guys because that's what we're you know used to seeing so even though intellectually I'm progressive and I understand all the things when I watch porn the stuff I watch is really binary which I think is kind of unfortunate because there's not much else out there right now a couple of years ago, you wrote about hiring a sex worker. Is that a common thing among people with disabilities? I think it's more common than we think it is. I know it happens all the time. That was really an important thing for me. That was really an important moment in my day-to-day, hiring that person and making that choice to to spend time with them. And I made the choice, and I'm, I have no shame about it. I think it was a great decision I made, and I would happily make the same decision to get my needs met. I, I, I brought it up because there was a moment that you wrote about that killed me. And it said, you wrote, he asked you, what do you want? What do you like? And that was the first time that everyone ever, ever asked you that. And it just yeah. stuck with me. Yeah. And I mean, it was the first time somebody ever asked me that. Um, like, cause I'm, I was, when I have sex with men, I, I typically, you know, do the makeup, the blowjob and I'm, then I'll, then we'll, we'll maybe do anal if that's what's happening. And like that's what I knew how to do. I didn't, I was never really felt like I got a choice because I was the disabled person. So when he asked me what he want, I was like, I don't even know how to put this in the words. So it was really, I remember him, him asking me and sitting on the phone with him and trying to be like, I don't know how to feel about this. And it took me a minute to like vocalize what I wanted. And once I did, like we, we figured it out, but it was nice to be asked. And so now... I try to lay out for somebody what I want before even they come over. Now I'll I'll give them a shopping list like, hey, I'd like to try this. I'd like to do this. I want to do this. This is important. What about this? And it really helped me to connect with what I actually want. That's important to know and to be able to able to ask for like what you want. It's taken some time, especially as a disabled person, because you feel when you have sex with with men, or just generally as a disabled person, you don't. You feel like, especially if they're able-bodied, you feel like they um, they get to call the shots, whether or not they do or not. But it, because ableism is so insidious, like I was saying, sometimes you don't even realize it's there. But if you're sleeping with an able-bodied person, somewhere in the back of your head, you're like, they're calling the shots because there's an automatic power balance. They can get up and leave at any time, and you can't. Oh, like literally, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, that experience with the sex worker sounded like a therapy session. You know, I feel like you like learned a lot about yourself or like worked through some things. It, I mean, it was, but that was it was a lot of internal stuff. Like the sex worker and I never really talked about a lot of this. It was it was in my own it was in my own head where I kind of had to deal with all the, these feelings about this. The trouble that I have as a creator when you when you tell somebody something like that, it's the one thing that sticks out in their brain about your experience, and then you have to go back and be like, but wait. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a full rounded person outside of that one thing that happened. When also it's your one experience and they don't need to be okay with it, right? Yeah, it's mine. And the reason why I the reason why I chose to put that out there so publicly is because I wanted to people don't talk about the fact that disabled people have sometimes have the means and the agency to hire sex workers to have their needs met. We don't talk about that enough and it happens all the time. But I also think that we don't talk about all the emotional stuff that a person with a disability goes through in considering to hire somebody if they choose to. Like, will I have enough money to do this? 
will I have enough money to support myself after I do this? Will I, you know, how will I feel doing that? Questions like, can I meet somebody the quote unquote normal way? Can I, you know, all these things come up for you when you consider hiring somebody and you're disabled because you're like, I, because when I first thought about doing it, I was like, I'm an attractive guy. I could, I could get somebody the normal way. And then months and months would go by and I wasn't having that need met. So I was like, all right, well, fuck it. I have to have this need met. Let's, let's figure it out. Gotcha. And looking at like a more like a uh, mainstream audience, like where do you see yourself represented in pop culture? I don't see myself represented in pop culture, which is why I do what I do because I don't see myself represented. I mean, we have, we have representations like speechless on ABC right now, but where do I see myself as a queer cripple person in the media? I don't see myself, which is why I do what I do. And I'm, I advocate for representation. Like I, I tweeted to Kit Williamson, Kit Williamson from Eastsiders the other day. And I was like, so your show's great. How about we talk, we talk about disability representation? Cause I'm around figure it out. Like, like, and again, just a friendly, like, Hey, I'm here if anybody wanted to do a thing, like, let me know, because I'm doing stuff. And not demanding that they give me space, but saying, like, hi, I'm here, I'd like to talk to you about this. The more famous that you get, does that make it easier to date, or has, have things changed at all? I haven't properly dated in about, I've gotten a proper date in about five years. I, it's just exhausting. Things like ableism, because of things like, just, I don't want to deal with all the stuff, so, like, I get my needs met when I need to, when I need to, and how I need to, when I like, I'll hook up with somebody, we'll hang out. But like, I also find queer men to be really, I love you all, but I also think that like, we're, we as a community don't know how to connect with each other. We don't know how to like, we'll say, oh yeah, we'll hang out, we'll do this thing. And then the day comes and we don't ever, oh, sorry, I forgot. Oh, sorry. Like, and I've done it. We've all done it. We don't know how to connect with each other to have community. And I don't want to go, I because the bars are not accessible and the places where we go to date properly, quote unquote properly, are not accessible. I don't go to the bars at 11 o'clock on a Friday to go watch the drag show with my people. And I, that's not what I do. I'm very much like, if you want to go to my place and we'll watch some Netflix and chill and then we'll hang out. Like, but sure, that'll work. But people don't tend to do that because they're, they're really afraid of like that connection and and with and for me you know for me too I'm pretty uh I'm pretty intense if I I'm loyal to a fault I'm the kind of person that's like I'll be your friend for life don't fucking ghost me because I can't deal with it because it's just it's hard and I feel like queer men especially right now in 2018 we ghost but then we're like oh sorry I just forgot life got really busy we can't I didn't think about it and so I I don't respond well to that so I've right I won't. I won't say I've given up, but I just don't have the energy for the, for the Well, that's, that's the universal queer experience, right? Making and breaking plans. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Um, so you talk a lot about, like, sex as we have gone over. But just to be clear, you, when, we, when it comes to, like, romantic relationships, it sounds like you're less interested in that. Is that right? Uh no, I'm very interested in the idea of that. The reality of that, as a disabled uh. person, I have no idea what that would look like. I've had nobody ever say to me, "Hey, you want to go on a you want to go on a second date?" I don't even know. I don't know what that looks like. I can do, "Hey, can I suck your dick again sometime?" Like that. I know how to do that. That I can. That that's easy. Sure, but like actually getting to know somebody and spending some time together outside of like, can we have sex? I don't know what that looks like. Do you have recurring like? Fuck buddies, for lack of a better word. I get around. 
I get around. I have, I have, you know, I have, I have people in my life that I spend that I spend sexy time with, but sometimes I don't. And I'm learning more and more to be okay with that and to just be like, yeah, it is what it is. It's all right. Like, there, I have moments where I really, really want somebody. Like, like for instance, as we're recording this, Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day is what tomorrow? Yeah. And I, and I, you know. I'll have a moment tomorrow where I'll be like, oh, it's Valentine's Day and I'm alone. But also, like, there's an empowerment to being single and disabled, I think. There's an empowerment to not having somebody... There's an there's a level of independence you get when you're disabled and alone because you you don't... You learn to never have to rely on somebody else. So I, I think we, and especially disabled people, are fed really ableist fantasies of romance. Like you're going to meet somebody and you're going to fall in love and they're going to see past your disability and that's what's going to happen. And so that's just not, that's just not realistic. I did an episode of my podcast, which by the time this airs will probably have come out already, but I did an episode where I talk about promposals and there's a whole, there's a whole section of promposals where able-bodied people will, will ask out disabled people and be like, do you want to come to the prom with me? But they'll only do it for the camera. They'll only do it for like the credibility of, of, their friends being like, yeah, oh my God, you did such a nice thing for so-and-so. And I'm always like, ew, do we ask how, Do we ask the disabled person how they feel about this? So my ideas of romance, I think our ideas of romance around disability are very ableist. And so I love the idea of being swept off my feet by like a, you know, a handsome suitor, but that's just not realistic. I'm much more at home, like let's watch Netflix and hang out and let's get to know each other and make stupid jokes and then... Maybe we'll make some cookies and then maybe we'll fuck around. That's that's like that's that's that for me is like my jam. I really don't the idea of traditional romance for me because of disability and because of accessibility and all the things that I encounter. The idea of traditional romance, I again haven't given up, but I don't. It's not something that I, that makes me super excited. And that's our show. If you liked the conversation, you can check out Andrew's podcast. It's called Disability After Dark. And then please, 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 again, please take 30 seconds to rank us five stars and leave a comment on iTunes. It is one of the biggest ways you can make sure our show continues to grow. You can also sign up for our newsletter at lgbtqpodcast.com. That's lgbtqpodcast.com to stay up to date on all new episodes and live shows and tank tops. And then I want to mention briefly that this summer, I'm going to be doing AIDS Life Cycle with a group of people where we'll be cycling from San Francisco to Los Angeles to raise money for the life-saving service services that the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and LA LGBT Center provides. If you want to contribute or are able to contribute or know someone rich who wants to contribute, I would absolutely love that. Every little bit counts. I have a page up at tofighthiv.org slash go to slash jeffmasters1. There's also a link in the show notes across all my social medias. Social media is a great way to connect with me too if you don't recommend guests. I love hearing from you each week. Special thanks to our partners at Panoply, our old home and AfterBuzz TV, the Elon University in Los Angeles studio, Jason McMurdy, and everyone for listening. We'll see you next week.